Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. We've been going through a sermon series here at New Life called Basic Training. And uh, we've just been reviewing the various spiritual disciplines um, that God gives to us in his word. And uh, let's see, clicker's not working. I suppose this needs to be turned on, okay. All these unreasonable expectations, gotta turn it on, okay. Got it. Um, So we've been going through this um, sermon series, basic training, we're looking at um, spiritual disciplines. Um, We started with a sermon on Bible reading. We went from there to prayer, thanks to Jim Spiegel, he preached to us last week on fasting while I was at uh, City Hope. And today, the discipline we're gonna be looking at is the discipline of giving. This is another discipline that the scriptures call us to engage in as as God's people. And the thing that I want you to hear, if there's only one thing that you remember through this whole sermon series, I I hope it's this. And uh, Andrew already touched on it a little bit as he talked about the youth, that extraordinary living occurs through very ordinary means. Our vision statement here at New Life is that ordinary people would be empowered for extraordinary living through the gospel. And I want to encourage you to consider that you can live an extraordinary life. And you don't have to be an extraordinary person to live an extraordinary life. You just have to be willing to use the very ordinary means. And I hope that that comes to you as good news. The way to live extraordinarily, and by that I mean a way that's distinct from the world, the way that, uh, in a way that's going to count for eternity, and the way that is a contrast to the way the world lives. In order to live that way, you just have to be willing to give yourself to the scriptures, to give yourself to prayer, and these various things we're talking about uh, in this sermon series. So really the purpose of this sermon is, you know, it's not to put you on a guilt trip about your giving habits. I want you to see that there is blessing in giving. That, again, the grace of God flows through certain channels. And when we put ourselves in the path of those channels, we can be blessed. The grace of God flows through the scriptures. The grace of God flows through prayer. And the grace of God flows through the willingness of God's people to give. Now, again... Let me be very clear. I'm not talking about disciplining yourself so that you can earn your way to heaven. I'm not talking about paying God so that he'll forgive you or reading your Bible so that you can earn merit with him. That's not what I'm talking about. Salvation is received by faith, not achieved by discipline. But once we have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, we need to grow. We need to be interested in moving forward in our Christian lives and pursuing an extraordinary life a godly life, and that happens through these spiritual disciplines. So, as we look at this topic of giving, I'm going to read a short passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 20. So if you want to open your Bible to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to look really at just one verse, but I'll give you some context by reading verses 32 to 35. And... um, This is a chapter where the Apostle Paul is giving his farewell address to the elders in a city called Ephesus. 
Paul's been working with these elders for quite a while. He's about ready to leave Ephesus and head to Jerusalem. And so the last half of chapter 20 is Paul kind of giving this speech or sermon um, to these elders. And um, so we're going to kind of pick up in the middle of this speech at verse 32. And it's the very last verse that I'm going to read that you're going to recognize because it's one of the most popular and commonly cited verses in the Bible. And that's what we're going to allow to kind of get us into this topic. So let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 32. So Paul here talking to the elders in Ephesus. I now commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God in heaven, we pray, open our eyes to behold the truth and goodness and grace that is in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So there it is, that last verse, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is not a sermon on Acts chapter 20. We're doing kind of a topical thing here. Uh, We're going to look through the rest of Scripture and see what it says to us about giving. But just a couple remarks here on this passage. You'll notice that um, Paul says the Lord Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. What's interesting about that is if you look in the Gospels, you will not find that phrase attributed to Jesus. And that shouldn't bother you at all. At the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, it tells us that Jesus said and did so many things that all the books in the world probably couldn't contain them. So... Jesus certainly said more things than the gospel writers were able to write down, and uh, this is an example of one of them. Uh, This phrase, though, got passed on to Paul, and so he included it here. So just because it's not in the gospels doesn't mean Jesus didn't say it. Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words from Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, th- this has kind of been passed down to us as, as kind of a cliche. You know, I mean, probably a lot of people maybe don't even know it came out of the Bible. Uh, just so many people say it, and it's easy to say, and it kind of feels good to say. It sounds very pious, you know. When we want to sound kind of holy, we can say something like this, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It- it's one of those phrases that's a whole lot easier to say than it is to believe. You know, you, you see these phrases, these cliches that come down like... Um, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We, we might say that, but I mean, we know that's not true, right? I mean, words hurt. Words hurt. We can say that and act like they don't hurt, but, but they do. Or sometimes people will say, you can do anything you put your mind to. It's like, yeah, I mean, that sounds good, but you know, there's just certain things that you're not going to be able to do. I am not going to be able to play in the NBA. I just promise you, no matter how much I put my mind to it, it's not happening. It's not really true. It sounds good. It's not really true. And I think some people look at this phrase, more blessed to give than than receive, in the same way. Is it really true? And I want to confirm to you that it is. 
It is true. The rest of the scriptures teach that it's true. That there is something extraordinarily wonderful about being generous and willing to give. So we're going to look at this topic just in two ways. I want to show you, first of all, the problem of neglecting to give. The negative effects of kind of hoarding your resources and and not being generous, being stingy. And then we'll look at the blessing of being willing to give. So those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. So four things under each point. Um, Four problems of neglecting to give. Certainly there's more than this, but, but here's four that I wanted to share with you from the scriptures. One, when we neglect to give, when we're stingy, when we hoard our resources, when we refuse to give, it can have a very corrupting influence on our souls and on our hearts. Money tends to have a corrupting influence. It tends to have, it can have. I'm choosing those words carefully. I'm not saying it will have. Because whenever I preach this message on giving, which is about once a year, you know, I always make this disclaimer. And that is that money and wealth in themselves are good things. They're not bad things. No one needs to feel guilty about being well off or having a lot of money. The problem is our hearts, our sinful hearts, which abuse the things that we have. It's very possible to be wealthy and not sin in the use of your wealth. That's very possible. But nonetheless, the Bible says to us things like this from Proverbs 30. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. We can identify with give me not poverty, but how many of us say, don't give me riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? The the writer here knows that Money and wealth can have a corrupting influence. And so he very wisely says, you know what? Probably it's better for me in the long run that I not be rich. And he asked God not to make him rich. And you can see examples of this in the scriptures. I mean, remember Ananias and Sapphira? They ended up dying under the judgment of God in Acts chapter 5. Why? It was because of their greed for possessions. How about Judas? Remember the reason why Judas betrayed Jesus? 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver, that was it. And he gave up the Lord and author of life. John Wesley, a very famous um, preacher and evangelist, says this, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Now, Don't take that too literally. He's not saying, you know, throw money out the window while you're driving down the highway. I don't think that's what he means. I mean, what he means is he's he's ready to give. He's ready to be generous. He's ready to part with his resources because he knows the corrupting influence that wealth can have on our hearts. Second thing, hoarding resources, wealth, can lead to ungratefulness. A lack of gratefulness, a forgetfulness of God's goodness. Deuteronomy chapter 8 Moses has been talking to the people of God. He's been saying, you know, when when you build your houses and when your stomachs are full and when your silver and gold multiply, he says this, beware. When you get wealth and possessions, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you 
power to get wealth. Again, connected to the first point, really money kind of has this intoxicating way of deluding us into thinking that the things we have are all because of us and how great and good and skillful we are. Forgetting that so much of what you have has to do with the skills and talents you inherited from your parents, with the nation in which you were born, with the time period in which you have born, with the opportunities that have fallen into your lap. You might regard those as random and accidental, but what Moses would say is, no, those things come from God. Those are God's generous provisions for you. If you have things and you're wealthy, yeah, I don't want to neglect Uh, to overlook the hard work that might have gone into that. But don't forget how much of the wealth that you have is dependent upon God's sheer grace and generosity. This is why it's really good to pray before meals, just thanking God. Um, You know, when you do that in a restaurant, you're not doing that to send the message to everybody in the restaurant that you're a Christian. And that's not the primary motivation. The primary motivation is to acknowledge to yourself and to God that the food on your table comes from Him, ultimately. His goodness and His grace. Thirdly, hoarding money, refusing to give, possessions can distract from the gospel. It can distract you from spiritual interests. Matthew chapter 13, parable of the sower. Jesus is telling this parable of this person sowing seed. He says the seed is the word of God. The word is preached. The gospel is proclaimed. And what Jesus talks about is the different responses to the word as it comes to people. And he gives one example here in verse 22. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Riches can do this. We come to take an interest in spiritual things. Yeah, eternal life sounds good. We, we think we, we love Jesus and what he did for us. And we want to live with him. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves getting rich. And we have all these things. And we get completely preoccupied with our possessions and our investments. And we find so much satisfaction in earthly things that before long, we're not too interested in spiritual things. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, Jesus also said, you cannot serve God and money. can't serve them both. One has got to go. They're mutually exclusive. The problem is not that God doesn't love the rich. The problem is that the rich often don't love God because they've got so much else to love. Not in all cases, but there is a tendency, right? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Riches can distract us from the gospel and from spiritual realities. The fourth thing... Okay, three things so far, review. I want to point this out. Riches can have a corrupting influence. Riches can lead to ungratefulness. Riches can distract from the gospel. And I I want to be very clear that I I didn't put the word will. I didn't say it's necessarily going to happen in all three of these cases. It can and it tends to. 
but not necessarily. You can be rich and not be corrupted. You can be rich and be very grateful, and you can be rich and be a Christian, for sure. But the last one is this. It will end in futility, for sure. Your accumulation of wealth and riches, in the end, will lead to futility. Another parable, Luke chapter 12, the story of the rich fool. Here's this person. He has all these crops. He's, he's wealthy. He has so much stuff, he doesn't know what to do with it. And so what does he do? He builds up these barns, and he stores these things away. Apparently, it doesn't even occur to him to give anything away. He just says, ah, I'm going to store this stuff up for myself. And then Jesus says this. This is the, the, the rich fool talking to himself. I will say to my soul with all this stuff, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The point is this. Money can do a lot of things for you in this life, but when you pass into the next life, money can do nothing for you. Zero. Up until the very point of your death. It's true. I don't want to deny this. Money can get you a nice hospital room. Money can get you good health care. Money can make your last days perhaps more comfortable, but the moment you usher into the next life, your money is worthless. And there you are, standing before God. And what are you going to say? Lord, please let me into heaven because I made a lot of money? What does it say in Proverbs? Riches do not profit on the day of wrath. <laughs> they won't do you any good. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the assurance of God's love, a place in his kingdom, those things are not bought by stocks and bonds and cash. Those things are bought in only one currency, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only possibility of being ushered into eternal life is casting yourself upon Jesus and all that he's done for you on the cross. And then for an eternity, you're enjoying the riches of a new life with him and his people. So here's the problem with neglecting to give. These things that can corrupt us, it can lead us to ungratefulness, it can distract us from the gospel, it definitely is going to end ultimately in futility. Now, I want to make it clear, though, as we go back to this passage, Acts 20, verse 35, it is more, uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, implicit in that, though, let's notice and let's not overlook, is that it is good to receive, right? More blessed to give than to receive. But the assumption is, yeah, it's good to receive. It's just that giving is better. So, again, trying to be very clear here, re receiving is a good thing. I mean, getting money is, is a good thing. I mean, I know, friends, you've got bills to pay. I mean, you've got debts to fulfill. You've got mouths to feed. You've got insurance to uphold. You've got taxes that are due. I mean, I, I know that. And, you know, I, I feel the pinch too, you know. I get up here and say these things to you, and I don't want you to think that somehow I have, you know, no issues myself. I got a car that's got over 200,000 miles on it <laughs> that I'm driving around town. I feel the pinch as well. 
But more importantly, I want you to know, friends, that God knows you need these things. God knows you have obligations. Remember in Matthew 6, it says that God knows that you're anxious about what to eat and what to drink and what to wear. But what Jesus says is, even though all that's true and you're worried about that, seek first the kingdom of God. Make that your priority and all these things will be added unto you. Get your priorities straight. And I think that's what Jesus means here in this uh, passage in Acts 20. More blessed to give than to receive. We need to receive. We've got obligations, but even given our obligations, there's blessing in giving that exceeds receiving. And so let's look at these. Four uh, blessings, advantages to giving. First, it will help you fight against greed. Giving is a healthy practice to fight against greed. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You know, it's, it's very popular and easy to kind of rail against the rich CEOs who we think are oppressing people. We get upset about that. Um, but, but friends, just because you don't have a six-figure income or a private jet or a vacation home doesn't mean you're not greedy. Again, the rich can be generous. The poor can be greedy. And the scriptures would say we're all susceptible to that. We're all susceptible to falling into setting our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. A good way to fight against that. And friends, we're living in one of the most materialistic ages in the history of the world. And when this passage says, as for the rich, it's talking about everybody in this room. <laughs> Relative to all of human history, we, we are all pretty well off. And the charge here is avoid that temptation to put your hope in riches. A good way to fight greed is to give. To wage war against materialism, give. Secondly, it can increase your level of contentment. I mean, isn't it true that the more you have, the more you have to worry about? I mean, again, I know we could all use some extra money, but, you know, here's how J.C. Ryle says it. I, I, I just love this. He says about money, there's trouble in getting it, there's anxiety in keeping it, there are temptations in using it, there is guilt in abusing it, and there is sorrow in losing it. <laughs> there, there is some sense in which money can be an occasion for anxiety and a lack of contentment, but here's what Hebrews 13 says. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I think the connection here is, is this, that your money won't be faithful to you, but God will. That's the difference. You can be, get, you can be content in the gospel, God's love for you, your acceptance into his kingdom, because that's something that's never going to change. It's never going away. It's never fading. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But don't put your contentment in riches because riches fly away in a hurry. 
one of the fastest tracks to finding, I think, happiness in this life is being content with what we have rather than always longing for what we don't have. And so, you know, as, as an example of that, I think I've told this before, but I saw this, it was a, a little cartoon, and I just thought it really struck me, it was very powerful. And in the cartoon, there was a guy in a car, and he looked up and he saw somebody in a helicopter, and he said, I wish I had a helicopter. And then the next frame showed a guy on a bicycle, and he saw the guy in the car, and he said, I wish I had a car. And then the next frame showed a guy walking, and he saw the guy on the bike, and he said, I wish I had a bike. And then the next phrase showed a guy in a wheelchair, and he saw the guy walking, and he said, I wish I had legs. That's a far distance, isn't it, from that guy looking at the helicopter? The guy's not content with his car. He's got to have a helicopter and forgetting that he has legs. Be content with what you have. One of the ways, again, to fight against this discontentment is being willing to give of your resources. Third thing, it allows you to see God at work. It allows you to see God at work. This is from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. We we covered this in the series on Malachi a, a little while ago. Um, But here's what the prophet says, bring the full tithe, the tithe is just 10% of your income, bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Look, look at what he says there at the end. I will rebuke the devourer for you. The devourer probably refers to a pest that was damaging the people's crops and causing a lot of trouble for them. And notice what Malachi says. He doesn't say, wait until the devourer goes away and your crops are better and then you can tithe. He says, tithe and then I'll get rid of the devourer for you. In other words, things were already hard for the people of God. And yet what God is saying is, you need to tithe anyway. You need to give. The challenge is this, put me to the test. God is challenging you, test me out. Let me show you how faithful I am. Let me show you how I can provide for your needs when you're willing to walk in faith. I mean, that's one of the things that we deprive ourselves so often, our unwillingness to risk, our unwillingness to walk in faith denies us the opportunity to see God do miracles miraculous and wonderful things in our lives. By giving, we're able to see God at work. Last thing, it increases your devotion to God. Deuteronomy chapter 14, again referring to the tithe, the command is you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. There's a natural connection, friends, between what we do with our money and where our heart goes, what we're interested in. Just like the person opening up the newspaper trying to find out how his stocks are doing. 
You want to know about your investment. And what seems to be said here in Deuteronomy is that one of the ways we learn to fear God is when we're willing to give to Him and tithe out of our resources. By the way, rather than explain in detail tithing, we've talked about this from time to time here at New Life, I want to recommend to you an article that Pastor Brian wrote on tithing. There are copies available at the Welcome Center if you want to know more about what that means and uh, how to do that. Pick up one of those articles before you leave. Well, as I close here, um, I just want to tell you, friends, I mean, we, we have, at New Life here, I mean, we have kingdom work to do. I mean, things that we're excited about doing. I mean, it, it was so exciting to plant City Hope Fellowship. And you know what? I mean, we would love to plant more churches. We would love to hire more staff. We'd love to pay down our mortgage. We'd love to more generously fund our ministries. Uh, but those things cost money. I mean, God can bless. God doesn't need our money. But on the ground, it costs money to do these things. And these are the things that we have in mind. But, but I want to say at the same time that the purpose of having God's people give is not God's way of raising money for himself. It's God's way of raising disciples, primarily. It's God's way of growing you up in your faith through all these things that we've heard in this ministry, in, in this sermon. Disciples of Jesus know that, that we have been bought with a price. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We have been bought with something infinitely expensive, the giving of God's Son. And there's no way that in our giving we can exceed what he has given to us. So, put God to the test. Apply this. Let's see what God does. Let's see if this is true, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your provisions. We thank you for Jesus who lives and reigns for us and who promises that the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. We take great comfort in that, Lord, and pray that you would make us as a congregation generous givers to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.